You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for August 2021. Excuse me while I peel myself off my keyboard, having eaten most of my meals in front of my computer this past week, my eyes glued to the European Society of Cardiology's virtual congress. I myself was covering the meeting remotely, along with TCTMD's Todd Neal and Michael O'Reardon, with major help from Caitlin Cox in the editing chair. Our stories will continue to come in over the next week or so as we catch up on some of the sessions we weren't able to catch live. For the podcast today, I convinced someone who I'm sure had far less sleep than I did over the past four days. Current ESC president Stefan Achenbach agreed to speak with me on the closing day of ESC 2021 to tell me some of his highlights from the meeting. Let's jump in. The ESC is barely over. What's your gut reaction? How do you feel about it? So my gut reaction is, I'm, how do I feel? Very happy. Because this is now the second time that we are online and it works. I mean, this is the feeling that it works. I have, it's always difficult to judge from the inside, but I have the impression that the community is participating in this. The community is benefiting from the information we are disseminating and there's lively discussion going on. That's the impression that I have. I would almost like to ask the question back to you, whether you share the same impression. I really think that it works. And that makes me very, very happy because it was uncertain whether maybe there was only an enthusiasm and a sense of staying together as the COVID-19 pandemic started and whether there would be a tiredness setting in and people being not so keen to join online events. After a while, the impression to me is that, it, that it really work, it's really working. So it's also a model, of course, that has lots of implications for the future. Sure. I don't think it's the same for me to give my opinion as a non-physician, but I think the time of year of ESC, people are always kind of excited to have something to look forward to as summer comes to an end, at least in the northern mm-hmm. hemisphere. And, uh, and this is true. I mean, I personally would love to get back to Europe, but I do see that there is huge value. I wondered if, for example, you had numbers. I know you had very high numbers of online attendance last year. Do you have any sense yet whether you've replicated that uh, this year? Yes, we don't have very detailed numbers, but we can say that it's approximately 40,000 um, uh, registered participants that we have. I mean, the big difference is that last year, like the other big organizations, the Congress was for free. And of course, the threshold to quickly have a look and join in for for a little bit is a lot lower when it's free and don't have to actively register and pay. Now we had a fee, a much lower fee than usual, but we still did have a fee, so we didn't know what to expect. We're very happy with this number, which is more than typically we have at an on-site conference. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into some of the science. Me and my team, we've been completely focused on the hotline, so let's start there. I know we can't go through all of them, but what do you think are the most impactful from this year's meeting? I think there are two different ways of looking at it. One is the information that you take home to your own institution and can implement the next day. And here's one to me, it has only been a confirmatory trial, the Tomahawk trial, but it very convincingly shows something that is important for cardiologists and also for interventional cardiologists. When the patients come in after out of hospital cardiac arrest, do we have to quote unquote drag them to the cath lab in all cases? And in many institutions, this has been a difficult question and it has been almost difficult to keep them out of the cath lab um, with all the logistical and organizational things around it. So now we know very clearly that unless there's ST elevation myocardial infarction or other clearly ischemic EKG changes in these patients, we don't have to go to immediate angiography shown very clearly in this nice trial. So I think this 
500 patients or 550 is not super large, but it has immediate clinical applications applicable as of tomorrow. Great, yeah. And then, of course, there are other trials which need more discussion. The master DAPT is one of them. 4,500 patients convincingly showing in a randomized patient trial of high-risk bleeding patients after PCI at four weeks, dual antiplatelet therapy is enough. Very convincing. But it was done with one specific device. All the patients had one stent. And of course, now the discussion start. Is this applicable in general or just in context of this specific stent? So this is also important, but requires some more information. Yeah, that stent isn't available in the United States. And there's also not a huge appetite, I gather, for using clopidogrel monotherapy in a, in a lot of patients that people would rather a more potent, especially in ACS patients. That's the type of debate I'm hearing about master DAPT now. So excitement, as you say, but also a lot of more questions. Yes. And um, we have to realize that these high-risk bleeding patients are a large percentage of the patients that undergo PCI. It's 40% approximately. So it is extremely relevant. Okay. And then, of course, there are the trials that excite from a scientific point of view almost. But for us cardiologists, to directly implement more difficult. And the SAS trial or the SALT substitution trial would be one example where you know, 20,000 individuals were randomized in, in this great design, 600 villages in China, and in each village, 35 patients were identified and randomized. How do they even pull it off? I know they worked for a decade on this trial. And these were all patients at very high stroke risk. We have to realize this. And then there was randomization to salt substitution. Salt was not completely substituted, so, um, uh, um, sodium chloride was not completely substituted by potassium chloride. It was 25% mixture because otherwise it tastes bad. But it was clearly shown after five years that in those villages where the individuals received salt substitute, there was a 14% lower rate of stroke, amazing, and a 12% lower rate of mortality. So extremely convincing results. And now, of course, we have to think, how do we implement this on a population level basically across the world because the benefits seem so obvious. Yeah, that's where you do need public health on board. You need big food industry on board, especially in parts of the world where the salt we're eating is coming from our junk food. It's not the stuff that we're sprinkling on our meals. So yes, yeah, less than 25%, as you say, is the one that we deliberately decide to put in our meal. It's what's given to us by the food industry. I have to hide the salt shaker from my husband telling him there's enough of it in their food already. But, food already. but I would imagine that the food industry should actually jump on it. It's not that much more expensive. And if they can clarify that they actually care a little bit more about their customer's health than we tend to think, wouldn't that be a very positive signal? Any other hotlines we want to touch on? I've got a couple other questions for you. Well, to me, I thought today, very, very current, the study about influenza vaccination after myocardial infarction was super interesting where two and a half thousand patients after myocardial infarction, almost all of them had myocardial infarction. Theoretically, you could also be included if you were above 75 and had triple vessel disease, but that was a very small percentage. But patients after myocardial infarction, basically no other criteria, were randomized to, to receive an influenza vaccination or not. And it showed a, sh showed a clear outcome benefit. Also, again, total mortality was reduced um, in absolute terms by 2%, uh, absolute risk reduction. Yeah. And, and that's quite a lot. 
But interestingly, it was seasonal. I looked at an analysis and in some years, this was across four years. In two of the years, it didn't have a big effect. In two other years where obviously the influenza was raging a little bit more, it had a very clear effect. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but it is a strong point that we should encourage our patients even more than we have so far to go to influenza vaccination. And the idea of giving it right after the infarction in the hospital without an increased risk of stem thrombosis, they looked at this, that's an actually very good idea. If you have the patient, you know, get them vaccinated right there. It's, it's very yeah. good. Oh, you know, you think about that with so many other medications that are supposed to get started in hospital and then the prescriptions are never filled. This just seems like a golden opportunity. All right, I did want to ask you about things outside the hotlines. There were 15 channels at ESC this year. How can yes. I possibly figure out what's hot elsewhere? I did check out some of the late-breaking science, and we have some stories on that on TCTMD, but I know it'll be available, I believe, for, for physicians yes. to go back and see some of this after the fact, but any other things you really want to highlight before we wrap up? Well, as you say, all of these presentations are available immediately and you can look at them. I thought really interesting outside the hotlines was the study where they delivered defibrillators with a drone uh, to patients who had out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. It was done in Scandinavia, where actually, you know, people, the, the population in that area, it was close to an airport, was relatively dense. And it shows that it works. It's amazing. It works. You can drop this defibrillator within nine meters of where the resuscitation is taking place. Caveats, of course, in a setting where there is high-rise buildings, that will not work. But in a rural setting, look at the potential that you have. Yeah. Um, in, in countries where the population is spread out a little bit wider, to actually deliver defibrillators, amazing, amazing idea. And they actually pulled it off with a big logistical effort. So that's, that was, I thought that was a really intriguing study. There's so much more I'm sure we could dig into, but um, I think I will leave it for our listeners to find some of the news on TCTMD, but of course, much, much more within the program. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but is there anything we can think about next year? I know you're planning to be a live meeting. I'm, I'm hoping to get my passport out of the cupboard and dust it off at some point, but do you have any thoughts about what next year might look like? Are you keeping it wide open? No, we're actually determined to have a combination. I don't like to call it hybrid meeting because hybrid sounds like it's a compromise on both it ends. I think it's half. going to be a combined meeting, both on-site with a very good on-site experience and online with an online experience at least as good as this year. Challenge to get it organized, but I'm sure we will somehow manage. And the relative balance, we have to see how the situation with COVID-19 develops. But the fact that it will be a combined meeting, I'm pretty convinced that that will be the case. I hope so. I have to ask for you because this stupid pandemic has thrown a, a, a wrench in so many people's lives in very concrete and, and tragic ways. But for you, this has been your ESC presidency has been dominated by this. Do you have regrets or are there, you know, has there been special challenges that have been particularly enriching? I imagine a bit of both. I think you're completely right. I mean, we cannot choose the environment in which we perform our tasks. We simply have to, you know, um, cope with what is given to us. And it was a challenge, of course, to get many things organized. On the other hand, it also gives you a clear direction of what you have to take care of. So some things were even easier because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Also, my presidency is not over. We do two years of presidency. So I have another year ahead of me. And hopefully this year will not be so dominated by all the specific measures we have to take in to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so I have another year to go and 
I was very, very happy and proud that I could be with the ESC in this difficult situation and with the entire fantastic team, both of volunteers and staff. And I'm confident that we will make the best of the second year also. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, given everything else you've done for this to make time for speaking with me here on the Heart Sounds podcast. My pleasure. My Take pleasure. care. Thank you, Shelley. Bye-bye. That is it for Heart Sounds this month. I hope you've already checked out TCTMD's coverage of the major ESC hotline studies, as well as some of the other interesting presentations we spied in the program, including new ESC guidelines. Our senior clinical editor, Mamas Mamas, caught up with the principal investigators for many of the top trials. You can find all of our news stories and videos on our ESC page. Find that by clicking on the conference tab on tctmd.com. There's much more, of course, on the website this month, and I will highlight a great new feature story that went live on the site just as ESC was kicking off. Reporter Yael Maxwell wrote a great feature story about expired medical devices that go to waste in the United States and other first world countries, yet could be saving lives in other parts of the globe if we had better data on the safety and efficacy of devices nearing their sell-by dates or beyond. You can find Yael's feature story on our homepage titled Expired Cardiac Devices May Do Global Good. I'll tell you one thing I've learned about these remote meetings which require you to wake up before dawn or stay up well past your bedtime with no chance to unwind with friends and colleagues. This whole virtual situation does make you a little squirrely and the smallest things can give you the worst case of the giggles at the least opportune times. At one point during the meeting, I was speaking with Alec Vahanian about the new valvular heart disease guidelines when my dog decided a chipmunk outside needed to understand just how loud he could bark. Ah, that's happened to the best of us, hasn't it? Thank goodness for mute buttons. To see you at the podcast door this month, let me play for you a little snippet of one of the ESC hotline press conferences supplied by TCTMD reporter Michael Reardon. Some of you will no doubt recognize the voice, but I'll give him a little anonymity. After what I'm sure was an exhausting week for many amid so much sadness and uncertainty in the world at large, and no small amount of regret that we didn't get the chance to meet up in London for ESC this year, I figure it can't hurt to share a laugh. Could you just explain what you're looking looking for in those two endpoints? Yeah. So. The, the cost was very important because one of the most important. Uh, I don't think my dog. Is, <laughs> the, the cost was important because we previously seen in failure, in particular, that this was a cost-effective strategy in people applying to PCI, and we wanted to see whether that was true. And you have to power a study for that to answer that question. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.